hey, welcome to another episode of the Get More Students podcast. Oh, dear. <laughs> hey, welcome to another episode of the Get More Students podcast. I'm your host, Alex Asher, CEO of LearnCube. And I'm Herbert Goza, founder of HerbertGoza.com. Now, today we're being a lot more topical because <laughs> it's getting warmer over here in Europe. Um, I'm based here in London. And Herbert, you are... In Austria, and yeah, 32 degrees here today, so. <laughs> we got definitely just over here. Anyway, yeah. it's not, it's definitely not that here in, in London. We actually had rain this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons we bring that up is because we're going to talk about summer. Mm. And particularly, this topic is going to be on how to market your summer student program. So, um, one of the reasons this came up, um, and this is not my specialty, so also a heads up that Herbert's going to lead this a little bit more. Um, but really over here in Europe, uh, at least, and I, I think it's very popular elsewhere as well, it, it's popular for students to travel to a destination location, uh, for some kind of course. Now, in our case, we're probably more familiar with language courses for summers, but I know in Germany, for example, summer courses for tutoring are also incredibly uh, popular. Actually, you'd think they'd be even more popular this year with so much disruption happening with a lot of schools and a lot of parents feeling particularly you know, underwhelmed or actually incredibly frustrated with their own local mm. schools' um, ability to either get through the curriculum or or even help their kids sort of stay on track um, over this last year. So there's a lot of catch-up going on, and it's, um, you know, really kind of uh, hitting home. And what what's, what these courses would look like, if you're unfamiliar, is they might be, you know, two weeks or five weeks um, go and live in Oxford um, and learn English, or they might be, uh, spend spend two weeks in Barcelona to learn Spanish. Um, Herbert, you want to tell me a lot more, a little bit more about the clientele here. Would they, what kind of ages we're talking about in particular? Right. I mean, it's quite quite a broad group, but um, you know, just from uh, you know the clients that we work with, we're looking at anywhere between the main uh, target group are uh, children between, say, 9 and 16, 17 years of age. Um, so as, as you already mentioned, sending them for uh, summer uh, language camps in English, in Spanish, in German, whatever that might be. But there are also lots of um, other subjects that are being uh, offered, such as programming, arts, whatever that is. Yeah, totally true. And, and so these create real opportunities. And so that's one of the fundamental reasons we wanted to talk about it is this is an opportunity for now um, mm. and because it's summer and also because Herbert, you're selling so many of these summer courses uh, and you have that, that exposure to it that you know that this mm. is a product that a lot of people want. Absolutely. Um, d- demand is there for... Uh, travel. <laughs> People yeah. want to, to g- get out and I'm sure parents also want their children to uh, uh, leave the house for a little bit. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, not only these in-person uh, courses, but also online summer courses are yeah. Yeah, seeing a bit of a boom. I mean, we're seeing as well on the LearnCube side, you know, we're often getting approached by language schools or tutoring companies like, hey, we want to facilitate these online um, you know, courses. How do we go about mm-hmm. it? So 
Um, this is something we're, we're definitely exposed to as a mechanism for delivery. Um, right. And so we thought it's, it's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, but equally, uh, as I say, I'm going to be the junior partner by far in this one. It's not something I have quite as much expertise because it's newer for me. Whereas Herbert, this is uh, every summer you've been selling uh, these summer courses. <laughs> Right, definitely. I mean, depending on the type of school, uh, summer is either, you know, peak season or it's a quiet, you know, season. And so I think a lot of, uh, these, especially language travel schools, uh, it's, it's been difficult to plan, right? With all these travel restrictions and obviously planning ahead to book accommodation and activities and teachers and of course marketing these courses. Uh, in advance to, you know, get, um, people to book. So a lot of logistical problems, uh, around that, especially, uh, in the first half of this year of knowing whether or not these types of camps are going to take place in person. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about then, I mean, we kind of have an idea of what they, actually tell me what, what was, what's the actual experience of an in-person summer camp? What does that look like? Well, uh, again, very, very different, but usually it's one or two weeks, uh, mainly student goes to, um, a school overseas, um, for example, to, to learn English in, I don't know, Edinburgh and they have English classes in the morning and then usually a variety of activities in the afternoon. And yeah, they're kept busy. They get to know the, the you know, cultural side and historical sides of the, the places that they, they visit, they're usually with a host family, perhaps. Um, yeah, that's kind of usually how a, a, um, a, a summer language camp, I would say, for 9 to 17-year-olds looks like. Um, but, but there are summer programs for, say, adults. Uh, and, you know, you just book also one or two weeks um, at a school, you know, an intensive course. Also, language classes in the morning, and then uh, usually the school organizes activities in the afternoon and the weekends uh, to get together and and meet new people. Yeah, so you've got these, and again, you're going to see a a real split of and diversity in this bunch. Why? Because each niche offers its new Mm. options. That's really great. Um, So then let's talk then about what what are these students getting? Let's start with this. Uh, let's start with this nine to sort of 17, 18 year old sort of group. Why, why are they being sent and who, who's this benefiting? Right. I mean, it's, if the, the student is benefiting, it's the, it's the experience, right? It's that, uh, cultural, um, experience of going to a different country, uh, kind of immersing themselves in the language, uh, with the local people, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that, that's why they have been and, I mean, still are very, very popular just, you know, in the last year or 2020 and, and this year have been a bit hampered and limited by, uh, you know, all the, all the travel restrictions. Yeah. And I imagine, and this is not too hard to imagine since it's been such a full on year. I mean, what do parents get before COVID and even now during COVID is they get a bit of respite, I'm assuming, like mm. they've got, um, they're, they're, I mean, particularly we're talking, let's start off with this, this bunch of kids between nine and 18. You know, they're getting them out of, out of their hair. <laughs> they're getting them out of, out of home and they're giving them something that they don't have to plan for. Like there's now, like they've probably been absolutely bombarded with like, how do I come up with things for my child to do, yeah. keep them active, keep them progressing? Mm. 
keep up their development. I mean, personal development is very important for parents for their kids, right? So they're constantly worried that they're not giving their their kid kind of opportunities. So there's this there's this whole kind of psychology, I imagine, that's sort of being built up um, around that. But then also uh, because this has been such an um, what do you call it? A very engaged period. Like parents have previously been able to pass all of this activity generation to schools, and that hasn't happened this last year. They've had to be incredibly involved in every part, not just the academic side, but also the social side and, and providing yeah. opportunities and activities. So I imagine the, there's a real hot button right now, and the major demand factor is also parents getting a break and yeah, having a definitely. sense of my, 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 my kid is looked after for this particular period of time, which must be hugely relieving, I think, if it can take place. Exactly. That, and that's why there's uh, such a huge demand at the moment. But yeah. obviously, you need to package your programs correctly, um, just because there are so many things to think about um, now than yeah. pre-COVID. And we can kind of talk about because there are there are there's we're going to talk about in person summer courses and we're also going to talk about online summer courses sure. because there's opportunities in both and uh, we're going to talk um, starting off though with you know what are some of the tr- you know we I think we hit on the, the major trend that's driving this demand in summer courses which is parent fatigue probably mm-hmm. and also. Mm-hmm. Well, an inherent wish for their for them to offer new opportunities to their to their to their kids. Um, what are some of the other trends that you think are coming into play with the summer courses for this year, two thousand and twenty one? Well, I mean, to be honest, the the camps are pretty much. I'm just trying trying to think uh, of some concrete examples. Um, pretty much as they were prior to COVID, with the you know the structure of the camps with the lessons, uh, cultural activities, um, maybe workshops or th- things like that for, for for the for the students. And so I guess in terms of the the program of the of the summer camp, nothing's uh, changed too much. They've just had to adapt with you know the current restrictions, which are changing all the time. Um, and then of course these these online summer camps, as you we like to call it, uh, have popped up and uh, are taking, you know, some um, market share away from those uh, in-person ca- camps for maybe parents or people who are not uh, certain yet um, of traveling uh, or aren't allowed to travel because of travel restrictions. But surely it also offers a huge opportunity as well for all of that market, just like there is a market in language education, you know, of people that the idea of travel is just hugely expensive anyway. Mm. Um, Now you've got an online option that wasn't really there before because no one felt that there was any demand. Suddenly you've got Mm. uh, a price point that people can actually afford for a a much bigger part of the world. Mm. And if it's position right, it is lower cost. Um, it is totally different to an in-person summer camp, but it can offer different advantages and maybe hit different pain points. So Absolutely. as an example, an in-person summer camp is I don't see my kid for as long as the course exists, whereas mm-hmm. online summer camp can be like for three to four hours a day. You know, they're not going to do their their normal sort of six to eight hours like 
for, for even two to three hours, I just know that there's something that they're going to be doing that seems good for them, improves development, and I don't have to come up with an activity during that period. Like that seems like a win uh, for a lot of a, a lot of parents. I would have thought school holidays are long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they've probably been made longer, right? Yeah, yeah. So you need to fill it up as best yeah. as possible. Yeah, so definitely opening up new new audiences, absolutely. And and what's re- I think what's kind of well, what's really interesting for that is you can treat them as two separate businesses anyway. Both offer great opportunities beyond you know the current times. There will be right. an online summer camp for anyone that maybe price was an issue for beyond this. Mm. Um, so, assuming that people weren't worried about price then I think people would choose an in-person summer camp compared to an online summer camp if they actually probably right. like properly want their child to be out of their hair for a particular period of time mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they're staying in a safe environment, all of those things, right? But beyond this, uh, you know, you do have, as I say, this whole new audience that now could have – and something quite flexible, right? Like – even when you think about, I know a lot of people that are trying to plan their holidays and, and haven't booked anything because it's too hard to figure out whether they're going to go or not. If you've got an online course program that your child can be, they can still do that wherever you end up being able to get to from a holiday. If you stay at home, mm-hmm. eh, it's not fun, but at least I've got a program sorted. Uh, if I do go away, well, then they can still do it while we're in whatever that other location is. I've got three to four hours that I know that they're, they're doing X. So that's, uh, you know, that predictability, I think, is incredibly attractive for a lot of people. Definitely, definitely. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, so something else that we've been seeing is that if people are not planning ahead, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to plan ahead at the moment, especially yeah. if you're traveling. And so people are making last minute decisions, uh, you know, booking now for a week's time for, for their child to attend a summer camp. So it's not too late, uh, no, that's the amazing to, to, to start promoting a summer camp because everything is very last minute, um, this summer. Uh, one of the other things, so all of these sorts of trends are really fascinating because you get these strange feedback loops. And one of those feedback loops, I imagine, uh, and and I'm very exposed to it with LearnCube and um, you know a lot of physical language teachers have lost their their employment, mm-hmm. um, but they're looking for for work. And even if the summer camp isn't sure if it, this is an in person one, for example, even if it's not sure that it's going to go ahead, I think there would be a lot of teachers that would still put their hand up to be like, hey, if it does go ahead, I'm in. And if it doesn't go ahead, you know, there's, you know, there's that, that possibility too. And I think that's up to the logistics of the school to kind of manage. Yeah, definitely. There's this, the point here is that there's a surplus of teachers that can be a lot more flexible. Like before, you would have had to have locked in all of your teachers yeah. months ago. Whereas now you could, if you even if you wanted to create a summer course, you could do that with relatively short notice because a lot of the pieces are fluid and open um, to that flexibility. And online even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. And uh, again, it's it's not too late (laughs) to to start a summer uh, program promotion. (laughs) Yeah. So let's then talk about. 
how to succeed. And I think right. we, should, we should start with how to succeed before, so before mm-hmm. COVID. And I think we should look at what does COVID change, if anything, to succeed in today's current climate. So let's start with that, Herbert. What, how did, how did summer schools w- work and win pre-COVID? Like what, are the, what were the messages that they needed to get across? What were the pain points and desires that they needed to, to unlock to be able to really succeed? I think it was definitely kind of the overall experience. I mean, not just the academic experience, which of course, uh, needs to be top notch, but, uh, accommodation and the extracurricular activities and, you know, everything surrounding that. Um, yeah, the things that weren't very, really that important were, you know, cancellation of <laughs> policies and, you know, how flexible things can be. That just really wasn't an issue back then. Um, which it is now. Um, and so you, you, you were really trying to promote this complete program, um, that touches on kind of all of those, uh, you know, points. Mm. When I've looked at the, the websites that are currently selling summer schools, mm-hmm. the first thing that they do is they have lots of great imagery that really yes. Expresses kind of, of the sensations and the feelings that the students mm-hmm. will feel. Because th- my impression is this, Herbert, is that parents superimpose their faces on whatever those students, right? So happy student face is like happy parent <laughs> face. Exactly. Um, so, and when you sort of see people exploring, you know, that those are the kinds of images and feelings that students and parents want to get across this it's about discovery self-development mm-hmm. um, confidence social engagement yeah. um, all of those are sort of like uh, those and those are just the things that I can kind of pick out is mm-hmm. there anything else that sort of the feelings that you need get, to get across with your landing pages your websites your ads I mean that that was a given uh that that you need to have those amazing photos and videos uh i mean i always talk about it so uh, i i thought that was kind of like a prerequisite um to yeah. to succeed is is having those really kind of emotional uh assets to really show show the student experience you know what is life like as a student at the summer camp. Well, what are the feelings they go through? Meeting new people from around the world to you know, building their speaking confidence to really um, acing, you know, whatever they, you know, their goals. Uh, you know, yeah. that needs to come across. Um, happy, smiling faces outside, uh, doing activities, um, having fun. Yeah, and I think uh, online as well. I think again, similar kind of feelings. But probably a different kind of, you know, slightly different sort of mechanism and, and way that you kind of transfer that. Like, I mean, actually, I, I'm open to it, Herbert. I mean, when you do it, when you're trying to sell an online uh, summer camp, do you still have? I mean, there's nothing wrong with still putting pictures of of students outdoors because it's about their students there in summer. You're trying to get across that message that this is a summer camp, so. You probably could you reuse some of those the, the, those same assets, right? You definitely can, uh, but you obviously need to mix it up with 
you know, the, the, the assets that show students at their computers interacting, engaging with teachers and pe- and other students online. Yeah. Um, and what else is there apart from the online classes? Like yeah. if, if you're, if you are just selling online classes, like two, three hours of, I don't know, English, English learning, that's not enough. <laughs> you know, there, there needs to be more. There needs to be things like, I don't know, virtual activities, tours, meet and greets, games, challenges, maybe an extra one-on-one session or, or, or specific workshops. Um, you need to be offering something more than just pure online classes. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, one of the main reasons as well, when we associate with summer, it's relaxed, right? It's yeah. time off. So pushing too hard, like, hey, I know that you've had a hard year and you've been absolutely working super hard. Hey, work really hard again. Summer. It's a, it's a harder, it's a harder call. Like the idea is it's summer. It's feeling like more relaxed and it's more. Yeah. Kind of socializing and part time. Mm, yeah. And it's fun as well. Yeah. Mm. So probably I think. I mean, look, that's that's the whole challenge and the whole opportunity for online summer courses, which I think we've we've certainly felt when we've been sounding this out, there's a big opportunity and it's up for the creativity of these organizations and the teachers yeah. to come up with some some great visuals. Uh, I do think it's really important to get some good online fun visuals as well. Absolutely. And I think it's got to be just outside of the... Like either it's like, I mean, look, could be in LearnCube, you know, you can make it really colorful and fun and active, but it can't just be, you know, nine pictures, <laughs> all of students, you know, waving at the camera. I, right. Yeah. I, I think it really, you, with those images more than ever, you need to show a level of interaction and, and fun. Um, that's much more important than say, if you're just selling the, the generic course, which seems a bit more businessy. Do you agree with that? I mean, I'm, uh, that, that's, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, I think people have become numb to all those, uh, screenshots of Zoom calls, uh, yeah. with everyone smiling and waving, <laughs> waving into the screen. So, yeah. um, it needs to be different. Uh, you know, may, maybe show a, I don't know, a cooking class or something. Um, yeah. you know, so something completely different, um, that is not like a, a classroom setting as such. Um, of, of, of the students doing something other than learning the language. That's it. Like if you, I mean, again, it's only because we have it here. Um, but if you're using LearnCube's whiteboard, you know, don't leave it blank. Whatever you do, you know, like oh, yeah. fill it with color and you could even have summary kind of images that are part of that. But, uh, and even if you're using another software, no problems. You could even be screen sharing something that is summary and fun and interesting. Uh, but either way, there has to be the, the big sort of part of that image has to be something sort of social and dynamic and colorful. Definitely. Cool. Uh, so uh, one of the things that we talked a lot about before this, uh, I found it really fascinating, is just also objection handling. Now, mm. there's a whole bunch of normal objections that you're going to have to get o- get across with a summer camp. You know, there's usually because it's a longer course and more intensive. Um, there's there's sometimes a price kind of objection that you need to go. So let's just put right. that one side. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what are the objections you need to handle now during COVID to be able to succeed with your summer camp. Right. 
uh, obviously security, uh, confidence in booking, uh, yeah. safety, and also flexibility, right? So um, that's super important for for parents. They 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 don't want any more stress or, or issues when when they're booking this course. They they want to know. Okay, I book it and then I don't have any more headaches, right? That that's the whole point of them them booking it. And if something were to happen, um, maybe their country gets on the red list or um, the the student gets COVID or whatever that is, that um, there are very clear uh, policies and flexible policies in place um, to transfer to the next year or for a different course, maybe a different start date, whatever that is, um, and making that as painless as possible for the customer. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's so important is being very proactive. This is not something mm. this is not something you keep in uh, like the small print. This is not something you put no. in terms and conditions. This is something that's pretty much at the same, like part, just past all of the great um, positive images. Mm. It's like the section on, hey, I know that you've got all of these objections and you're fretting out and you're worried about all of these things. Don't worry, we've already thought about them and this is what yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, as a parent, you want me like ticking those boxes off saying, exactly. yeah, if this happens, I'm still okay. If this happens, it's not a headache. If this happens, they're really trained and like they're super onto. They've got all these great processes. If my country changes, they've got these great policies. That means that I, it can still happen. It just um, I might even you know, you might even create guarantee policies. Or mm-hmm. I, we were actually talking about this servant and um, was it like an upsell insurance policy. Yeah, definitely an insurance policy or even. Uh, I, I, I know of a, a company uh, selling quarantine packages. You can yeah. uh, upsell and um, if you come from an app, like say a, a country where you need to go into quarantine, they, they have a homestay family ready for you all, you know, within the uh, guidelines and the safety guidelines and they will um, pick you up and, you know, it, it's basically a um, headache free uh, experience even if you need to go into quarantine. So, you know, some some uh, companies are being quite innovative with that. Yeah. I, well, one of the th- things that we thought of as well was that parents are typically going to be a lot more conservative, right? They've got the most mm. to lose. They've got a child sure. that invested that child's entire life. And so it's a pretty big responsibility to pass to another to look after, particularly depending on the age of the kid, the more sense of vulnerability there is in that child um so insurance i think is a really important so it's either guarantee or insurance but if Mm. you don't deal with that i think it's a major problem because a if the worst does happen it creates a massive nightmare for everybody because then no one knows Mm. what's happening and they don't know what's the um, recompense or what's the situation if it doesn't happen um then it's it's fine, but but, but people are going to want to know. Uh, they've already done the, the the mental calculation. They're going to want to know those answers. Definitely. So better, I think, better to price it in and package it. So uh, you could even, as I say, I think selling it as an upsell can help you uh, alleviate that problem. And I think mm. businesses are in, tend to have probably a, a bit of a, a better understanding of what the risk ratings are on, like for example a status change in a country. You probably know 
more or less whether that's likely or not. And even if you don't, if you've got enough students, you're able to kind of uh, outweigh that, you know, that right. risk um, mm-hmm. over a number of uh, another students. And I, I think it, it is going to be up to the entrepreneurs that take some of those risks that that really win. But um, on the online factor, you've just got different objections. So you're not going to have the same security or um, in terms of COVID, but you're going to need to deal with the other objections. It could be security in general, like, you know, hey, is my child going to be safe online? You know, sure. That's going to be a big one. Uh, so you're going to have to have your data policies, like, really, mm-hmm. really dialed and know exactly how you're going to protect students from... You know, cyberbullying is just as big a problem in summer camps, I imagine, as it is anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, so you're going to need to have some policies and uh, processes in, in place um, that make that feel like you're, you've already thought about it. You've got these great kind of processes to make sure that, don't worry, your, your kid's safe with us. Mm-hmm. So that's the main message that I think we're, we're trying to get across. Um, and it's up to the schools to kind of come up mm-hmm. with the assets and those yeah. Uh, that messaging to kind of get that across. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great opportunity for schools that perhaps previously haven't had a, a, a summer program. Yeah. Um, you know, both Why online, not? in person, um, demand is there. Uh, you just really need to package your offer uh, attractively and also get those assets, as you said. Um, to build confidence with uh, with parents. Brilliant. Um, one of the other things that strikes me um, as a major win with this is the course, unlike, so a lot of, so LearnCube, we deal with a lot of um, online language education and tutoring. And a lot of that is sold, uh, you know, in, in terms of classes. And those classes are typically, you know, they're not like eight hours a day. Um, mm. kind of sessions, but when you're selling a camp, you really are selling a big volume of education, which means that right. your price point is much higher, and you can do a lot of really interesting things with a much higher value product. Mm. So instead of worrying if you if you can sell your your hundred to two hundred dollar value um, product, you're able to sell this thousand, five thousand dollar product. So you're going to have different processes as well to deal with that. So definitely, if you're dealing with a high-value product, you're going to need to have some sales. I'm almost sure you're going to have to have some level of human interaction unless you've got absolutely everything dialed on that website. Yeah. What's your experience with this, Herbert? Definitely. I mean, if, if you're talking about thousands, then there, there, there has to be a um, so some level of human interaction, especially if it's an in-person course. I mean, online courses... You could probably get away with up to a thousand without any human interaction, but everything needs to be like on point. Yeah. Um, from the website, your testimonials, your assets, uh, the booking process, everything. Yeah, uh, probably if you're if you're new to this, having an in- human interaction would be, I think, quite important. Mm. So don't hide that because if people can't get in touch with you. Uh, you probably haven't not nailed all of your messaging because you haven't done it for multiple years. Exactly. Mm. You don't want to lose that connection with the parent because they've looked mm. at it, they haven't found their answers, so they're off yeah. the website that can tell them. So uh, I think probably the big call to action there is like, 
what would you call it? And what's the language that's used? Like consultation or what do you? Yeah, a, a free consultation, a free um, yeah, a free a free call, um, whatever that that is. Just a, a contact us. You could yeah. even have it via a uh, some sort of messaging software, or chatbot. Um, yeah. Doesn't need to be by phone. Um, a callback. Uh, yeah, and anything like that. You want to be able to speak to your uh, potential customers to see what their concerns, what their objections objections are, so that you can make changes to your messaging, to your offer, to your website and landing pages. Um, yeah, to to minimize then contact in the future. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so that's what we've, uh, we've, we've kind of gone through quite a lot today. And actually I've mm. I found this uh, a really energizing episode because uh, again, it's a yeah. bit more, it's a bit newer for me. <laughs> um, and I think to be fair, online summer camps, maybe they started last year, but it's a newer phenomenon. Like it wasn't definitely, it wasn't a no. mainstream product. Uh, no, the years in 2019. Before. Nope. <laughs> no way. Uh, people would send their kids to an online summer camp. Yeah, so have some fun with it. We're really looking forward to hearing your creative ideas. The demand from what we're seeing is really there. The tools are there as well. So there's definitely mm. the, the mechanism to do that online. And if you're doing it in person, brilliant as well. There's definitely uh, an opportunity there. I think some people have all of the logistics really, really now. But remember, if you're doing in person, there's a huge amount of responsibility that goes oh, yeah. with um, with that. So uh, <laughs> I wouldn't... Uh, uh, underestimate that, but a, a great opportunity, and we're really looking forward to seeing how you all go. So, uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Get More Students podcast. Um, again, in this, we hope we've promised. Well, we, what we promised is to give insights, inspiration, and motivation to those of you that are running or marketing online language schools or tutoring businesses. We release a new episode each week. And we would love if you can hit that subscribe button now um, to keep us going um, and also so that you'll get a shiny new episode each week. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time. See you in the next one.